Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. two in a row here. Start with good, good father. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in dead of night as you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, and I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. But I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i am saying you are perfect you are perfect in all of your ways. You are 
are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Sing that again. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. This love so undeniable, I, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I, I can hardly think as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still into love, love, love. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. 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 Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's sing this one now from the top. Are you hurting? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Is he calling you this morning? Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Yes, he is. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Sing, oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Two more times through. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open. 
open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ let us pray dear Lord we thank you so much for this hour we thank you for this opportunity to worship you together uh, we thank you for the new year for 2018 and we thank you for the many opportunities over the Christmas season that we that you offered for us to serve you Lord um, we thank you for our community um, we bring um, this hour to you Lord we give it all to you um, we're going to give you all the honor and the glory and we praise the message that, that is to follow it's in your blessed name I pray amen God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus, He came to love, heal and forgive, and it denied, to buy my pardon, and Amen. What a great morning of worship, and we praise the Lord for this heat wave that, we, that has hit us today. It is above freezing. When was the last time we saw that? It hasn't been until since last year, I'm sure. This morning, I want you to turn with me again to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. This morning we turn our attention um, to a character in the Bible who is probably one of the most villainized of any that we can think of, Judas Iscariot. And we see his life, uh, a portrait of a man who was a pretender, a man who had every opportunity to be saved but continually pushed Christ away. And I believe there is a warning to us this morning, many things that we can learn as we look at a portrait of a pretender. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for the praises that we've been able to lift up, the opportunity to lift our hearts up to you. Lord, now I just pray that if there's even one here today that does not yet know you, Lord, they would hear this warning, a warning from a, from a life wasted, and recognize that their life doesn't have to end like the life of Judas. Lord, I pray that we would also see that, Lord, you love us. Lord, you give us every opportunity to know you and to love you and to serve you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are genuine, that we're not pretenders, that we're a people who our lives are a portrait uh, of, of truly, genuinely loving and serving you all the days of our life. So, Lord, I pray that now you would hide it behind the cross, that only you would see, be seen, that only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our text today deals with a man by the name of Judas Iscariot, and he is, without a doubt, probably the most notorious villain in all of Scripture. His name appears as the last name every time that the disciples are listed, except for in Acts chapter 1, where his name is not listed at all. And every time he's mentioned in the Bible, the Word of God reminds us that he is the traitor who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ to his death. Judas was a failure as a disciple. He was exposed to the same teaching 
that all of the other disciples heard. He saw the same miracles, was involved in all of the same ministries as all the other disciples, and yet Judas never came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas spent three years with the Lord Jesus Christ, following his every move, hearing his every word, and yet he died a lost man. The others were converted during their time with the Lord. Judas only became spiritually hard, calloused, and hateful. The other 11 disciples were used by God in amazing ways. Their lives demonstrated the truth that common and ordinary men can be used of the Lord in extraordinary ways. Judas, on the other hand, he stands as a stark warning about the dangers of wasted opportunities, hardness of heart, wicked lusts, and spiritual carelessness. And so while Judas was a failure as a disciple, he was the most successful hypocrite of all time. He played his part so well that only the Lord Jesus Christ himself knew that Judas was a fraud and a pretender. He was as common, he was as ordinary as all of the other disciples. He was so ordinary, in fact, that he never stood out from any of the rest. He hid behind the camouflage of hypocrisy, and only Jesus realized it. So this passage reveals Judas as he hatches his plot to portray the Son of God into the hands of his enemies. And so this morning we're going to get to know Judas a little bit better. We need to learn the lessons that come from this life of such a tragic character. Dr. John MacArthur reminds us that Judas and his life teach us two basic truths. First, it is possible to be near Jesus and to be associated closely with him and still be hardened by sin. But secondly, Judas is a clear reminder that the purposes of God stand sure. No matter what anyone may do, they will never thwart the plan of Almighty God. God always accomplishes what he determines to do. And so this morning, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand with me as we look together at Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. You may be seated. The very first thing that we see here is Judas and his personality. We begin to see that there in, in verse 10. We really don't know a lot about Judas Iscariot from the biblical record. He's mentioned 20 times in the Gospels, and he's mentioned two other times in the book of Acts. He speaks uh, on just two different occasions in Scripture. He is really uh, quite an enigma. He is a mystery to us in many ways. And yet, from what the Bible does say about him, we can paint a picture of a few important truths that are seen in this particular man's life. First of all, we consider his designation. His name is Judas. It's Greek uh, in the rendering of the, of the name Judah, which was the, the son of Jacob and the father of the largest of the tribes of Israel. And the name has two possible meanings, Jehovah leads or he whom Jehovah praises. And so this name suggests that his parents had great hopes for him. They had great hopes that he would be used by God, that he would be used as a servant of God. And yet, in the end, he was only used as a servant of Satan. We also see here that Judas stands as living proof that having a godly heritage is not enough to save one's soul. I hope this morning that you recognize just because you had godly grandparents and godly parents does not mean that you're saved. You see, because saving faith is required for us to be saved. It's not enough for mama and daddy to love Jesus. It's not enough for mama and daddy to be faithful and to serve him all the days of their life. You have to make that commitment yourself. No one else can make it for you. There must be a life-changing, soul-saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. But also consider his dwelling. His name was Iscariot. This name tells us something about where Judas was from. The word Iscariot is derived from the Hebrew of Ish, meaning man, and Kerat refers to the town of Kerioth. Thus Judas is called man of Kerioth. Uh, Kerioth was a very humble farming town lo located about 23 miles south 
of Jerusalem. And so we're told that his father's name was Simon. Simon was a very common name at that time. And so really nothing more is known about his family. Judas was a common man from a common family, from a common town in Judah. But consider his detachment. Since he was from Judah, Judas was the only one of the twelve who was not from Galilee. The rest of the disciples were from the northern part of the nation. Many of them knew one another. Some of them were even brothers. Others were co-workers and friends even before they became disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So being the only stranger in the group meant that Judas would have been somewhat isolated from the other disciples. They would not have known his family. They would not have known his background. And it, would, it is true that the people from the southern region of Israel also oftentimes felt uh, somewhat more superior than the people from the north. These facts enabled Judas to keep a low profile. And it helped him to camouflage his, his hypocrisy from the other 11 disciples. And while there's no evidence that the other men excluded Judas, he very much possibly could have felt like a, an outsider even within this group of 12. Thoughts of that nature may have helped him to justify his treason against Jesus and his thievery against the rest of the disciples as he stole from them basically on a daily basis. We do know that Judas worked his way into a place of trust, though. The other disciples chose him to be the treasurer of their group, but Judas used that position, we're told, to steal from the money bag. That verse in John chapter 12, verse 6, tells us that Judas bare what was put therein. The word bare means to take away from or, or to pilfer through. Judas was a thief. And it's made crystal clear throughout the scripture that that's exactly who he was. It's what he was about. He wanted to see what he could get for himself. But it's interesting to note that in every list of, of the disciples, Judas Iscariot is always named last. It illustrates the wide gulf that separated Judas from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was isolated from the rest of the disciples because of his background. He was also separated from them spiritually, and he was the only unbeliever in the crowd. And so this is a clear reminder that you never know the true condition of the hearts of those folks around about you. The other disciples never did figure out that Judas was a traitor until after he had already betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. They always assumed that he was one of them. Perhaps even Judas believed that as well for quite some time. But either way, it reminds us that the heart is a very deceptive thing. It is also challenging to us to be sure that we are in a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're not just playing a part, that we're not just going through the motions, that we really know that we've come to that place where we've accepted him as Savior and as Lord. But also we see Judas and his privileges. That's the second thing I want you to see this, this morning, is, is Judas had great privileges. A study of the life of Judas reveals that he enjoyed many of the exact same privileges as all of the other Lord's genuine disciples. A few of them are mentioned in Mark chapter 3, verses 9, uh, 13 through 19. In, in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we see how he was called. We see how he was called. He was called like the rest of the disciples. There's no question that Judas was chosen by Christ. He was chosen by him to fulfill a, a divine plan. We see three Old Testament prophecies uh, that we need to, to consider here. The first is Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, where it says, Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trust, trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. In John chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus said that this prophecy would be fulfilled in his betrayal. Well, we recognize that that is who Judas was. We also see in Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hidden myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my God and mine acquaintance. He took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Again, this passage speaks of the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas Iscariot. And then we see in Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, And I speak unto them 
If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And again, we know that this passage was fulfilled when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And we see that in Matthew chapter 27, verses 9 and 10. So Jesus makes it crystal clear that when he chose Judas, it wasn't by accident. Jesus knew who Judas was, and he knew what Judas would do. And everything Judas did was part of the eternal plan of redemption that was ordained by God before the foundations of the earth were laid. And it's clear from the gospel record that Judas was chosen for damnation and not salvation. And there's tension here. There's tension for all of us when we hear that between divine sovereignty of God and human responsibility. There is no debating the fact that Jesus Christ was foreordained to suffer for our sins, that the plan was always for him to die on the cross. That didn't catch him by surprise. There's also no doubt that Judas Iscariot was held responsible for betraying Jesus Christ so that he would be arrested, so that he would be put on trial, and so that he would die on the cross for our sins. And so while Judas was born to fulfill that ancient prophecy related to the betrayal of Christ, he was not forced to do anything against his will. He was chosen by God to be the one to betray Christ. But Judas betrayed Christ because he wanted to. Not because he was made to, but because he wanted to. And so while Judas was chosen by God for the role that he fulfilled in betraying Christ... He fulfilled that role willingly, not against his will, but because it was his will. Some would say, well, is it fair for God to condemn Judas for doing the Lord's will? Well, this is the same argument that Paul both anticipated and also answers for us in Romans chapter 9, verses 19 through 24. He says, thou wilt say then unto me, why doth yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay, or the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to shew his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy? which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Church, I want you to see Judas was not condemned because he betrayed Jesus. I want you to hear me when I say that. Judas was not condemned because he betrayed Jesus. Judas was condemned long before he betrayed Jesus because he was a lost sinner who never repented of his sins. You see, it is the fact that he was a sinner that sent him to hell, that he never accepted Christ by faith. And so that begs the question, could Judas have been saved? And the answer to that is yes. He had, he had every opportunity. Had he turned to Christ by faith, he could have been saved. He had every opportunity. We see in the parables, the parable of the unjust servant, the, the man without a wedding garment, and the ten virgins, they were all designed to speak to Judas and to turn him from his evil plans. He was there to hear every one. However, the Lord knew before he chose Judas that Judas would betray him into the hands of his enemies. And so while Judas could have been saved, it was never really a possibility for him because he didn't want to be saved. But also we see there in Mark 3, 13, how it came. When Jesus called Judas, he willingly followed the Lord. Physically, he followed him. He was following Jesus because he believed Jesus would defeat Rome and that he would liberate Israel. He was not following a savior. He was following a man he believed to be a revolutionary. And so he followed him willingly. But also we see in verse 14 of Mark 3, how he was consecrated we see here that Judas was ordained by Jesus. That word has the idea of that he was trained 
like all the other 11. Jesus took the 12 and he made them ready for a mission that he was about to send them to accomplish. And he was set apart for a very special purpose. But also we see there in verse 14 how he was connected. Like the other disciples, Judas was chosen to be with Jesus. I want you to imagine that. Every day, Judas and the other disciples witnessed the character and the compassion of Christ firsthand. Not just reading it in the scriptures, but they saw it and they felt it and they experienced it. They heard the words. They saw the works. Every single day was a display of the grace of God for Judas and for the rest of the twelve. Every miracle, every parable, every sermon, every single act of compassion was designed by Jesus Christ to reveal his identity to his men, that they would see exactly who he was. Eleven of them got the message. Judas never did. Jesus tried to touch the heart of Judas in every way, and many occasions, but Judas hardened his heart against every attempt by the, by the Lord to reach out to him. Some people have a hard time with the idea that Jesus, Judas could have lived for three years under the teaching and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and still die lost. And yet we see the same thing happening all the time, even today. There are many folks who live their entire lives from birth to death, and they're in the church pew, and, and, and they hear the Word of God. They see the lives of saved people. They see the actions that God is doing around about them, and yet they harden their hearts to the gospel. They trust things like having a Christian mama and daddy, a Christian grandparent, a Christian spouse, and they believe that they're saved. They believe they're okay because of all those outside influences. They believe there's things on the outside that can save them, that doing enough good things will save them. And yet they die and they spend eternity in hell because they never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. It's a real tragedy. And I pray that you don't allow it to happen to you because it can. It happened to Judas who was with Jesus Christ physically for three years. It can happen to you. If you don't turn over your life to Christ. But also there in verse 14 we see how he was commissioned. Judas was sent out to, look, to serve alongside all the rest of the disciples. He had the same credentials, the same appointment that they all had. He was working for Jesus just like the others. But also we see in verse 15 how he was confirmed. Judas and the rest of the disciples were empowered. They were empowered to preach the gospel. To heal the sick. To cast out demons. And as they went about the country, their preaching was attended by the manifest power of God. God used it. The lame walked, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, and so on. We know all the things that took place. People who were bound in their sins were brought to faith in Christ by the preaching of the twelve, including Judas. Even Judas preached with power. He worked the miracles. He delivered demon-possessed folks. And he saw them come to know Christ. He saw that happen in others. In other words, Judas could not be distinguished from the others in his work for the Lord. He was doing everything outwardly that would have made you think he was just like all the rest. And I don't know about you, but this morning, to me, that is a sobering thought. You see, Judas was a tear among the wheat, and only Jesus Christ knew it. I'm not even sure that Judas knew it for a while. For all we know, he was so caught up in, in all the excitement of, of serving Jesus and, and the work that was going on day by day that perhaps he had convinced himself that he was all right, that he had had all the outward signs, that he was okay. Jesus tells us that many will face God on that day of judgment. And they'll say, God, I preached. God, I cast out demons. God, I did all these things. And he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. And that's exactly what Judas will hear. Be sure that you are not one of those. But thirdly, I want you to see Judas and his problem. You see his confusion, first of all. His confusion. We're told that Judas went to the religious leaders because he wanted to betray Jesus. Why would Judas want to betray Jesus after spending so much time in intimate fellowship with Jesus? Well, like everyone else who followed Jesus, Judas thought that Jesus had come to do the work of the Messiah. And when I say that, I mean the Messiah that he had worked up in his own mind. 
They saw his miracles, his power over the demons, Satan, and nature. They heard the way that he taught, and they saw the way that he lived, and they believed that he was going to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy concerning Messiah. Like the rest, Judas was expecting Jesus Christ to, right then and there, overthrow the Roman government and break the yoke that Rome had, the oppressive yoke that he had placed on Israel. He thought Jesus would deliver Israel. He would establish and restore the kingdom of Israel and immediately begin that earthly kingdom. When it became apparent that Jesus was not going to do those things, Judas became disillusioned with the Lord Jesus Christ. The other disciples slowly but surely began to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, but they also began to understand that he would accomplish his mission in a very different way than what they expected. That his was spiritual, not earthly and physical at this moment. Judas never came to that understanding. He never grasped that truth. Judas followed Jesus because he wanted power. He wanted money. He wanted to be on the inside. He never embraced the spiritual kingdom of Christ. Now, why did he stay with Jesus then? I think it's very simple. He saw a way to get rich quick. He held the bag. We must also remember that Judas kept that group's money bag. He traveled from place to place, and he was the one who had his hand in that bag the entire time, and he was stealing from them the entire time. And so part of the problem with Judas began with confusion as to the identity of the ministry of Jesus. And as time went on, he became disillusioned in what was fondness in the beginning turned to pure hatred for Christ. He began to hate everything about it. Some would try to salvage the character of Judas right here. They, they want us to believe that Judas betrayed the Lord in an effort to, to force the hand of the Lord. They want to believe that Judas betrayed the Lord so that he would be forced to go to war with Rome. But that flies in the face of what the Word of God teaches us. Judas was not hoping for a good outcome here. He wanted Jesus Christ dead, and he wanted him dead now. He hated him just as much as the religious leaders hated him. But also we see his covetousness. His covetousness. He had already learned that Judas was a thief. He was pilfering through the money bag. His covetousness takes center stage. You'll remember in John 12, 4 through 6, it says, Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and he bare what was put therein. This is the first time that Judas speaks in the Gospels. And guess what he's talking about? He's upset because somebody spent money in a way that he didn't agree with. And so he gets upset. He was enjoying the feast that was held in the honor of the Lord Jesus in Bethany. And and you'll remember that as that feast progressed, that that Jesus' good friend Mary, she enters the room and and she brought with her an alabaster flask of of nard. And she began to anoint the head of Jesus with some of that. And then she began to anoint his feet and and to wash his feet with her hair. And and when she broke that flask and and when she poured it all out, Judas looks at that and and that calculator in his head begins to go off. And and he begins to think, oh man, that could have been sold. And I could have, I mean, uh, we could have used that money on the poor. We're told that it was 300 pence. In today's economy, that would be about $20,000. And he's just thinking what he could have done with around $20,000. And so he begins to criticize one who loves Jesus. He's livid. He did not believe Jesus was worth that kind of lavish love. And by what he called waste, Judas was saying, you prevented me from stealing. You prevented me from having access. When Judas said this, He is mildly rebuked by Jesus, and still Judas does not repent. He does not examine his heart. He is confirmed in his hatred of Jesus, and he immediately seeks out a way to betray Jesus to the Jews. This is a bittersweet scene. On the one hand, Jesus is anointed by the lavish love of Mary, and on the other, he is anointed with the overwhelming hatred that Judas has for him. It's interesting to note that when the other disciples heard the objections raised by Judas, that they didn't side with Jesus. They didn't do the same thing Jesus did. They didn't say, hey, back off, Judas. They echoed. They were echo chambers for the thief among them. And it serves as a warning to our hearts this morning as well, Brinesburg. Be very careful who you follow. 
There are some people who love material things more than they love the master. There are some people who live to get their own way more than desiring. He's never had his salvation. He was a never saved man. He was lost when he preached. He was lost when he cast out those devils. He was lost when he healed the sick. He was lost when he listened to the Sermon on the Mount. He was lost when he heard and saw those great miracles of Jesus Christ. He was lost when he watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead after being in the grave for four days. He was lost when he betrayed Jesus. He was lost when he committed suicide. And he was lost when he opened up his eyes in hell. He was a lost man. And here is what Jesus said about Judas in John 6, 70 through 71. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus looked at Judas, and he called him a devil. He looked at Judas, and where others thought they were looking at a saint, Jesus said, I'm looking at a devil. He acted like the rest of the disciples, but the Lord said that he was a devil. He preached like all the other disciples, but he was a devil. He was able to cast out demons like all of the other disciples, but he himself was a devil. We see here that Judas was nothing more than a sheep, than a wolf in sheep's clothing here. He was a devil. This is a sobering thought. The lost man, it seems, can do many of the same things that a saved man can do. Sometimes the world might look and say he does them better. Just because a man can preach, just because a man can pray, just because a man can witness, just because a man can do good works, just because a man attends church regularly does not mean that he is a saved man. A lost man can do all of those things. And he can sometimes do them with success. So we can't base our relationship with Christ on the things that we do, on works. Salvation is by faith. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. There must be a moment of commitment when you come to the to the understanding that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior and you repent of that sin and you turn to Christ and you cry out to Him for salvation to save your soul. If that moment is missing from your life, my friend, I want you to understand you're lost. I don't care how many good things you do. I don't care how much fruit the world says they can see in your life. If you cannot come to that point in time in your life where you repented of sin and you turned to Jesus... You're still a lost man. You're still a lost woman. You're still a lost boy. You're still a lost girl. We must repent of sin and turn to Christ. Judas Iscariot was no different than any other person, than any other lost person has ever been. Jesus told the Jews that they were the offspring of the devil, and as such they would look and act just like their father, the devil. There was a family resemblance that cannot be denied between the lost and the devil. And those who are of the devil will eventually prove it by acting just like the devil. And if you've never been saved, then you are just like Judas this morning. There's a part of you that is controlled by Satan. You wonder why you do the things that you do. You you wonder why you can't break the cycle of sin in your life. Well, the reason might be very simple. It's that you need a new father. You need to turn away from the flesh. You need to turn away from doing the things the devil might call you to do. And you need to be born again. You need to come into that saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are, everything in your life will change. When you are, you will be delivered from that oppression that the devil brings into your life. But lastly, I want you to see Judas and his plan. It involved betrayal. 
After being rebuked by Jesus at the feast, Judas approaches the Jewish leaders and he negotiates a deal to betray Jesus into their hands. Matthew 26, 14 and 16 tells us the price was 30 pieces of silver. According to Exodus 21, 32, that was the price of a slave. In other words, it was almost nothing. In today's economy, we might say about $25 is what that was worth. In other words... Judas sold out Jesus for practically nothing. And by the way, there are many who still do that today who will sell out Jesus for practically nothing. Sell out Jesus for a few moments of sensuality with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They'll betray him by choosing their way of living over the way that he has called them to live. Others betray him because of their feelings getting hurt over this or that and Therefore, I'm not going to serve him anymore. Some betray him for alcohol, some for drugs, some for sex, some for other worldly pleasures. But in reality, for nothing. Because they view him as nothing. No matter what you betray him for, it is worth nothing compared to the value of your soul. Judas betrayed Jesus for practically nothing. But also it involved blasphemy. The deal was struck and Judas set the wheels of betrayal in motion. We see that Judas took the money and he blended back into the group as though nothing had happened. And he waited for his chance to destroy Jesus. And his opportunity came just a few moments later, a few days later, as the celebration of the Passover came. And during that meal, Judas crossed the line and we see that he reached the point of no return. We don't have the time to go into details of all the events that took place there but a few details, I believe, are important for us to understand the character of this man named Judas Iscariot. John reports that during the meal, Jesus taught his men a much-needed lesson about humility. And we're told that Jesus arose from the table, and then he tied a towel on his waist, and he, and he took the water, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. It was a lesson in humility. It was a lesson in, in servanthood. And you'll notice that he even came to Judas. And he washes Judas' feet. It was another opportunity. Jesus saying to him, come back. Don't do what you're about to do. He's showing him his love. He's showing him compassion. We see even Peter protested when the Lord tried to wash his feet. But we see that Judas just allowed it to happen. And his heart just continued to be hardened. Later in the meal, Jesus became even more direct. In verses 19 through 30, Jesus clearly exposes the treachery in the heart of Judas. And all of this is an attempt to awaken his conscience and to give Judas the opportunity to repent. And yet he doesn't. Jesus even hands him the sop. And the sop was a piece of bread. It was dipped in a, in a fruit mix, mixture, much like jam. And, and to hand someone the sop was, was an ultimate form of respect. But more than just respect, it was an ultimate form of love. It was saying, I care about you. I, I'm in an intimate relationship with you. I, I love you. Jesus honored Judas. He attempted to break through the hatred once again that gripped this man's heart. But Judas does not turn from his plan. He simply leaves. He gets up. He leaves. And he goes and he does his father the devil's business. John 13, 27 is an interesting verse. While Judas had always been a child of the devil, he now completely is taken over by the devil. Every thought, every deed, every action will be choreographed at this point by Satan himself. It doesn't mean that Judas was doing anything against its will. It means that he was a willing participant in the devil's plan. Judas could have yielded himself to the Lord and things would have turned out far differently, but he chose willingly, willingly to yield himself to Satan. And Satan willingly used Judas as his vessel to accomplish his evil purposes. After Judas leaves, Jesus, we're told, initiates the Lord's Supper. And isn't it amazing that while Jesus instructed his true disciples about the greatest act of worship given to the church, that Judas is out conducting the single greatest act of treachery that the world has ever seen. We're told that they finish the meal and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while they are there, Jesus prays his high priestly prayer. And of course, Judas knew where they would be. And so he, along with the great multitude of, of soldiers came to arrest Jesus and the soldiers came and they were ready for a fight. And when they arrived in Gethsemane, 
Jesus met them. And I want you to see something here. Jesus meets them and he identifies himself to them openly. In other words, he says, I am Jesus. I am the one that you are looking for. Judas had given the soldiers, though, a signal by which he would be able to identify to them who Jesus was. Judas said that the man that he kissed was Jesus. When the mob came, Jesus has already identified himself. He has already said, I'm the one you're looking for. He wanted to protect the disciples. He wanted them to know that he was the one. So there was no need for Judas to kiss Jesus, to identify him. And yet Judas is so filled with hatred that he kisses Jesus anyway. He says, I want to make sure that I am the one that betrays him. A kiss speaks of love and affection, of tenderness, of respect, of intimacy. But when Judas walked up to Jesus, he did not give him just one kiss. The tense of the verb suggests that he kept on kissing him upon the cheek. This display of false love and affection for Jesus only makes his deed of treachery all the darker. Sadly for Judas, he kissed the very gates of heaven before he would die and enter through the gates of hell. That night, Judas's blasphemy sealed the deal. Judas blasphemed the Passover. He blasphemed the Son of God. He blasphemed the Lamb of God. He was guilty of the greatest act of blasphemy that the world has ever witnessed. But also we see Judas and his punishment. We see his despair. After Jesus was arrested, Judas began to feel the pangs of remorse, but not of saving repentance. He never came to a place of repentance He was continually influenced by the devil, but he never turned back to the Lord. He tried to return the money, but it was too late. The deed was done. Jesus was on his way to the cross. Satan used Judas for his purposes, and then he threw Judas to the side of the curb like a piece of trash. Even now, Judas is not interested in salvation. He's not interested in believing in Jesus. He's not interested in getting right with God. Judas has crossed the line, the door of salvation, was forever closed for him. He is the perfect example of what the Bible refers to as a reprobate mind. The word reprobate means to be worthless. In Romans 1.28, the word is used of people who thought God was worthless, and so God gave them over to a worthless, a reprobate mind. And so Judas looked at Jesus, his works, his teaching, and he said, it's worthless. I care nothing about it. Therefore, the Lord gave up on Judas. He abandoned him to his own choices. Judas would forever remain a lost man separated from God. And then we see his death. When Judas saw that he couldn't fix what he had done, he threw the money back into the temple and he went to commit suicide by hanging himself. But apparently he couldn't even do that right because the limb that he tried to hang himself on, either the limb broke or the rope broke, but either way he he fell to his death and his body exploded upon the rocks beneath him. The money that Judas left in the temple was used to purchase a field where strangers could be buried. Judas was the first person to be buried in that field. It's a tragic end to a tragic life. It's interesting, though, to consider the deeds of the chief priest here. They didn't want to use what they referred to as blood money because they were so so moral in character. Except that they forgot about those morals. They forgot about all of that when they were bringing up false witnesses to accuse an innocent man. They weren't concerned about their morals and their scruples when they murdered their own Messiah. But also we see his damnation. Acts chapter 1 verse 25 says that when Judas died, that he went to his own place. That simply means that he went to the place that was prepared for him and to everyone who is like him. All those who do not repent of their sin and turn to Christ. That place is the place the Bible refers to as hell. And just as surely as there is a place called heaven that Jesus Christ has prepared for all of us who love him and serve him. He has also prepared a place for the devil and his demons and for all of those who reject him. And that place is called hell. And every lost sinner and every religious hypocrite and every false disciple will go to hell when they die because they are a lost sinner who has never repented of their sins and so this is made crystal clear by a multitude of scriptures and I'm not going to read all of them but I do want to read two Matthew chapter 25 verse 46 and these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous unto everlasting eternal life and then in Revelation chapter 20 verses 10 through 15 And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and a brimstone, where the beast of the false prophet are, 
and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from, whom face, uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them. And the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Church, if you miss Jesus, hell is where you will spend eternity. In the end, it will not matter how good a neighbor you were. It will not matter that you were a church member. It will not matter about the money that you gave, the good deeds that you performed. All that will matter is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are saved, you will go to heaven. And if you are lost, you will go to hell. Judas is a portrait of a pretender. The Lord gave him every opportunity to be a genuine disciple. However, Judas went to hell because of his unbelief. But he had to work really hard to get there. You see, every sermon, every act of kindness, every miracle was a call from the Lord Jesus Christ to Judas to repent of his sin and to believe on Christ. When Jesus told his disciples that one of their number was a devil, it was a call for Judas to repent. And when Jesus washed the feet of, of Judas and all the other disciples, he was revealing to him once again, there's a hypocrite here. Repent of your hypocrisy. Judas never did. When Jesus handed Judas the sop at dinner, it was a call for him to turn from the path that he was following. And he never did. Judas, Judas climbed over every obstacle of love that Jesus placed in his way on the path to hell. And Judas went over every one, and he chose hell over the Savior. But I wonder, what about you? Are you genuinely, truly saved by grace this morning? Are you a person who has a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just thinking that you've worked enough works, that you've done enough good stuff, but have you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation? Church, this morning, I want you to understand something. Good works will never save you. Only a personal love relationship with Christ will. If you've never had that point in your life, if you can't right now, go back to that moment. For me, it's 1989 sitting in a pew in Hardin Baptist Church, Ricky Cunningham preaching, and me understanding I was a lost, hell-bound sinner. And God saved me, radically transformed my life. I know when it happened. If you don't know when it happened, if you can't come to that place where you repented of sin and were saved, don't leave this place today until you come to that moment in your life. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Be saved today. Don't be a pretender. Be the genuine article. Be saved today. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that your desire is not that any of us should be lost and go to hell. Lord, you gave every opportunity for Judas to be saved, and he pushed it all away. And Lord, sadly, we recognize we have family members and friends, and we have folks that are sitting in the pew, perhaps, with us today. And they're pushing you away. Lord, I pray that today, that this message, that your word would open up their hearts and their, and their, and their soul, and, and that they would recognize they're a sinner, and that they would repent, and they would turn to you. Lord, I pray that they would be saved today. Lord, others may need to come to this altar and pray for loved ones that are lost. Lord, we just need to plead that, Lord, the Holy Spirit would do the work that only he can do and cause their hearts to be tender. Others may need to join this church family. I don't know what every situation and circumstance may be, but, Lord, you do. Lord, do the work in our hearts that only you can do. And, Lord, I pray that we would be receptive and obedient in this time. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. 
and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.